Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Bud Thorpe. Hey, Bud, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Certainly, Kevin. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm uh, Bud Thorpe. I'm here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm sitting in our dog art gallery. And today, let's see, well, I'll tell you a bit about myself. I am formerly a paramedic. I was a paramedic for 35 years. I've been a working photographer in addition to that for well over 30 years. And um, yeah, I was also a college professor, hospital administrator. Basically, the winds have taken me in lots of different directions over the years, and I love them all. But now, my wife and I specialize in dog photography. Photography okay. of just dogs and their well-behaved families. That's what I'm about. <laughs> oh, great. Well, that must be um, a challenge at times, but um, maybe we'll hear Truly. more about that at the end. So in your multiple varieties of experiences and careers you probably have collected some really cool tools so tell us one of your favorite tools right now today one of my favorite tools is kind of an oddball crazy one that will not come up for most people but for the folks that it helps they're going to love it i am a dog photographer getting a dog's attention is a big piece of what i do as a as an artist as a creator uh, I'm very often the one operating the camera, and my wife is very often the one wrangling, handling the dog, or as she likes to say, getting her puppy time. But getting their attention can be difficult, and we use noisemakers for that. Some noisemakers could be as simple as an empty plastic bottle that crinkles just so. Uh, and then, of course, you have these little squeakers uh-huh. that come inside of the dog toys. Um, for those you're, you're holding up a the, kind of a plastic bubble yeah. that looks like about an inch diameter. Exactly. Uh, and it's a dog squeaker and you can get them on Amazon in bulk quantities. But this isn't, this is obvious. In fact, most dogs only react to this once, twice, because then they know what it is. They've heard it before. What you need are noises they have not heard before. And I have one. I have one that I like because it is generally hands-free. Because uh -huh. if both hands are on the camera or manipulating things, I, I need both hands free. So I have a duck call. Okay. It is a flex tone wood duck call. Now, this thing is, a, a, a think of it as a tube, perhaps four, four and a half inches long and maybe half an inch to an inch in diameter. And think of it like a kazoo shape, yeah. but that's not what it does. And you can you can make all sorts of noises with it, and uh -huh. I can have it in my mouth, blowing in it while I'm using my camera. Yeah, because timing, as you could guess, is everything. Good. And it's the simplest little toy. I mean, um, you can get these for perhaps six dollars. I've paid as yeah. much uh -huh. as twenty when I've forgotten them and had to run into like a Bass Pro Shops or something. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll pay the hijack fee because it's that useful. It's not a noise that dogs hear often. And I you see. can make this thing do lots of different noises. Um, and, and perhaps I'll give it as a class of items. You can run through the dollar store and pick up any kitty noisemaker as long as they all sound a little different. Um, this is one I found, and I wish I could find them again more regularly. This one's called a siren whistle. It's again, about an inch to an inch and a half long, about a half an inch in diameter. Um, your audio guy's gonna hate me. Yeah. 
And it's just this cheap plastic toy that I think I bought five of them for a dollar uh-huh. um, that is invaluable. I have a whole drawer of these noisemakers that are right next to the camera position when we work in the studio with dogs right, because right. they are so, and, and that they're so helpful. Here's another one I'll just show because it's super fun. This is made by the Acme Whistle Company. And, and it is a nightingale whistle. And it's uh, something about the size of an old 35 millimeter film canister. Yeah, there's a photographer. I just said the F word. You'll right. forgive me. Um, but it's, you know, about an inch to inch and a half in diameter, maybe an inch and a half or two inches tall, with a little pipe sticking out the top. And there's a small amount of water in the bottom. And it makes a rather unique noise. Oh, yeah. cool, cool. Again, your audio guy, it might, sorry for those in the car, that might be a little loud yeah. through your sound system but again unique noises we just use them two three times and move on to something else the dog doesn't get used to them and they're very effective tools at getting the dog to look up but also to give you that unique head tilt as they're trying to figure out where that noise is coming from Uh because that very high-pitched noises are bouncing all over the place in the room and of course they're using their ears to figure out which direction it's coming from Hence why they tilt their head. So the weirder the noise, the sharper the noise, but without being so loud, it could be scary to them. And you do have to ease your way into it. But I'm a dog photographer, and that's the weird tool, boy. Um, And very helpful. Yeah, it's a great tip for those who are trying to do their own photography at home. If you wanted to photograph your own dog, you might get something like this. You mentioned a kazoo. Well, Does the kazoo work? Oh, yes, it does. I have one over in the drawer. I thought it was a bit too pedestrian for today's <laughs> show and tell. But yeah, and they don't have to be expensive. I mean, it could be anything inexpensive. Again, they're only going to work three, four times in any one session. And then you move on to something else, hence a whole drawer of cowbells and just all yeah. sorts of weird items. The drawer alone could be a whole episode of just fun stuff. Uh, but again, there's yeah. something for everybody. And just try to be a different noise than normal. Yep. What a fantastic suggestion. So thank you for, for that. Um, I think, as you said, the general tool is a noisemaker for trying to get you a great photos of your dog. Um, exactly. So, Bud, what's another cool tool in your arsenal? Well, this one, I'm going to take a sudden left-hand turn to something completely different. And uh, I realized when I was talking with my wife how often we use this silly tool. My wife and I, just about the time of the pandemic, started using a vacuum sealer. And the vacuum sealer, of course, you put leftover food or food you've prepared in a bag. Uh, It's a sort of special bag. You get them inexpensively on Amazon or such. Um, And the vacuum sealer pulls the air out so that when you freeze this, or even store it in your fridge for that matter, it prolongs the life of it because the air has been removed. The problem is now when you go to get the food out, you always have to have a pair of scissors in the kitchen, which I am forever running through the dish machine because they get dirty and ucky and it's just a thing. And then I end up with four pairs of scissors in the kitchen because they're always in the dish machine. It's a whole thing. And then we discovered, I wish I could take full credit for this, but someone showed this to me. Um, It's a pattern notcher. I'm going to say that slower. Pattern notcher. I'm holding up a gizmo that looks like a small pair of stainless steel pliers. Uh And it should remind you of a, like a three hole punch back when we used to use paper for things. Except it doesn't make a hole. It makes a notch. Um, I have a little piece of cardstock for those who are watching. And I'm going to punch 
a notch in the edge. Sorry, let me okay, get away. So you have a little slit, a little notch about yeah. a half. Long. It's not even a sixteenth of an inch wide and perhaps a quarter of an inch uh-huh. deep. That's what it makes a little notch. And you're going, well, what use could that be? Well, I guess for folks that sew, they put notches in the patterns to line things up, perhaps. I'm I afraid see. I don't sew, so I don't know. But I do know these things are only six bucks. And here's one of the bags um, that you would shrink wrap your food in, if you will. You'd vacuum seal your food. Uh-huh. And if once it's been sealed at the top, this one has not. Below the level of the seal, you just oh, knock that edge of plastic right there. That's all you do. And then when you go to open this up in your kitchen, right. you just pull at that and right. it rips open. It's like the little knots they have in, you know, commercial bags that you get. Exactly. Now, this bag, the one that I grabbed, happens to already have a little notch. But exactly. It's just making the little starter notch. I'll do it again. And it's super easy. And I'll tell you, sometimes the best tools are not the most elaborate. They're not the craziest nor the most expensive. They're really just makes your life easy every day. And. I did not think of this on my own. Someone, and I wish I could give them credit here. I truly do. Because yeah. credit where credit's due. Uh, this pattern notcher, and when I ever saw it, it was $6 yeah, um, yeah. for a durable tool. And again, once in a while it gets ucky. I just run it through the dish machine. It's stainless steel. No big deal. Um, and it just sits next to the Sharpie, which yeah. is on the shelf next to the vacuum sealer so that I label everything with the date and what's in it. Because all red sauces look the same when, in fact, they are not. Ask my Italian wife. Um, but you got the idea. A pattern yeah. notcher. You can get them all over the place. I mean, six, seven dollars. It's the cutest little thing. Again, cool. you won't use it every day, but if you do, you will yeah. thank me or whoever gave it to me for it. Right, day. right, exactly. For opening up packages. Well, that's really fantastic. So, th- and presumably, if you're a sewer, then it also has a double dual use in some capacity. Yep. And it doesn't need to be much. Right. Um, you just have to not cut notch all the way into the vacuum sure. area of the bag, but mine won't go far enough on the edge of the bag to go into that vacuum part, which, so I love that a tool has my, yeah. well, I'm going to say foolishness, um, right. a little guard against that. So you mentioned the, you know, the, the food savers, the vacuum bags, um, the one that you have, are you happy with? And did you do much research before you got the one that you have? Uh, no. And in fact, as I said, it was during the pandemic. So a lot of these things were hard to come by. So I bought the one that was in stock and it's been fine. Um, <laughs> just lay the bag on it and hit the button. It's not uh-huh. a brand name. It's one of those Amazon whizzies where they put a bunch of consonants and vowels together and, and <laughs> trademark it. Uh, one of those, I mean, I th- think the only thing I've learned is that there's a little foam seal inside uh-huh. that seals around the plastic. And one just needs to wipe that down once in a while to make uh-huh. sure it stays, you know, food free and, and can make yeah, it yeah, sealed. Yeah. Once you know that, it's really no bother. Uh, uh-huh. Mine's been going since the pandemic and we use ours, I won't say daily, but very often, uh-huh. very often. It seems to work. Yes. Um. So, so, bud, what's your second tool then? Well, the next tool up is um, a, a bit. It's a I guess bit it should simpler. be your third, third tool. I'm sorry. Third tool, yeah. yeah. It's this little pencil knife. It is. I'm holding up something about an inch and a half long and not even a half an inch wide and very, very thin. And it's a razor knife. 
Um, if you open it up, it's something about the size of a, of a one-sided razor blade and it folds into its own little handle. And upon inspection, you'll see it's got a grommet in one end, that's the pivot. And it's very disposable looking because it is. Um, it's called a pencil knife, evidently. Um, there are a few of them on Amazon for sale, but you have to buy like 20 of them. And they're, I think they're a little high priced for what they are. This is more of an AliExpress item, candidly. Yeah. You know, very inexpensive, but you pay the tax of waiting 30 or 40 days to see them. Right. Now, the reason why is I found myself coming, and I'm no longer working as a paramedic. Paramedics tend to carry a lot of stuff on their person. Um, everyday carry is evidently the cool term nowadays, um, but they carry a lot of stuff, crap, if you will, with them, detritus of your life. Um, and I always carried a pocket knife. And one day I just sat there saying to myself, all I ever do is open cardboard boxes. Why am I carrying this big knife? In fact, as a paramedic, I don't think I ever once used a knife ever, <laughs> like ever. We use scissors, trauma mm -hmm. shears. Well, it occurred to me if all I ever open is cardboard boxes, I just need a knife. And in yeah. fact, for a while, I was carrying one of these little snap blade knives. I mean, you yeah, like, they're like, everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They're, they're 90, 99 cents. Yeah. They weigh free. almost nothing. Yep. yep. And they snap when you, you know, and it's a little big for the pocket. I'm sure you could find a way to whittle this thing down if you were really so inclined. So I went looking, what have I got for a little razor blade knife I could carry in my pocket? Now, I have these all about the house. I cannot be the only one that has these little net wherever you bring in your, your boxes from UPS, you, you've got one sitting there, probably one next to your, your table, you know, everywhere, they're everywhere. Well, I wanted one in my pocket because here at the gallery, when we receive goods, I often am not standing in the same place. And so I opened the box with this. It has a collateral benefit in that it's got a longer blade in that I can scrape with it as well. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't come up as often as you think, but for the size and the weight, which could could not possibly be more than a few grams, right? Yeah. For the size and the weight, it seems reasonable to carry this around with, you know, in your pocket. Um, you don't have to worry about it opening up. Mine never does. Um, and they're very inexpensive. And when it gets dull, I just pitch it. I know that's not the most earth-friendly thing in the world, but um, yeah, I'm sure you could probably find a. No, I doubt you could recycle this in any reasonable way, but um that little knife is handy as can be and i use it all the time and, and the mine says pencil knife the brand that's i think on amazon that i sent you a link to is called derma safe but you gotta buy quite a few of them um but again it's an aliexpress thing and i think you know your listener and viewership definitely is used to aliexpress which is what i do the the one that you linked to has a little bit more of um reinforced top edge on the blade yeah and i don't know if that makes a difference in terms of the weight or um its ability to scrape or whatever yeah it's literally the only one i could find because i was trying to give you amazon links because yeah. everybody seems to be using amazon um but the one i have is just the metal razor blade it does not have a reinforcing along the the i guess yeah. you call it the spine of the blade mm -hmm. and perhaps it ends up being a more thicker or what have you but personally I'm not looking to invest here. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm looking to not invest <laughs> so that when it gets dull, I just pitch it. I grab another one out of the drawer and move on with my life. Uh -huh. um, but one of these will last me six months. Um, yeah. But I am the least handy person on earth. So I'm the guy that calls a guy if something needs to be repaired. 
So for what I use it for, it's perfectly awesome and appropriate. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's done. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. so what you have is like, it's like the ultralight pocket knife. It's for the yep. guys who are hiking the Appalachian Trail who saw off the handles of their toothbrushes. <laughs> um, and and here, yeah. this is your, your version of the pocket knife. Yep. That absolutely correct. And I've had, uh, I, I had a bajillion pocket knives, but since I started carrying that, I, I never carry a pocket knife anymore. You're right. Why? Because the only thing I ever do with it is open cardboard boxes, <laughs> which is the worst thing you can do with a pocket knife because it dulls the edge. Um, yeah, exactly. And then um, I got to call a guy to sharpen it because I'm incapable, despite being an Eagle <laughs> Scout, of sharpening a knife effectively. <laughs> it's a skill I do not possess. Yeah. And that's, yep, yep. Um, by the way, in that kind of same department, one of the things I use in my workshop is disposable scaffolds. Oh, yeah. Disposable scaffolds are incredibly sharp. Um, and um, unlike even, they're kind of like exacto blades, but they're even sharper as far as I can tell than exacto blades. And they're they're really, really good. Um, and then, you know, they're plastic handle, a little tiny blade, and they're disposable. You don't have to sharpen them. And you can get them in different profiles too, yeah. if you want a more right. a rounded one or a straight one or, or what have you. Yeah. And I'm sure that'd be an AliExpress item or an Amazon item that you can get by the big box full. Exactly. Yeah. So um this is wonderful. Um so Bud, um what do you have as your Well final, the last uh, item board? is an oddball. Um <laughs> these other well, ones weren't uh, odd. Okay, I get yeah. it. <laughs> right, they are <laughs> odd. Um, this is a little pocket organizer. Um, so what I'm holding up is about, uh, I don't know, what's that like maybe two and a half inches tall and maybe mm-hmm. four inches wide. And it's a piece of, um, nylon, uh, stretchy nylon. It, it reminds me of the old, um, ace ankle bandages, but yeah, this one, yeah, yeah, black yeah. fabric. And it's been sewn in a couple of spots. So it makes little pockets. And this is made by a company, and I, I don't know the company, or, or this was just one of those Amazon things I found, Active Pro Gear, it says, and it's pocket organizer. And it's because I always have to carry my car's key fob with me, and I'm always carrying a little flashlight with me and that little knife. So if I take my little flashlight here, and I can poke it in here, uh-huh. and I can take my knife and poke it in here. And that stays. Right. Um, and my car's key fob is in the last bigger section. Uh-huh. And when it goes in my pocket, it stays upright and stays flat to my body. So it doesn't have a big bulge where normally right, all right. these things would have lumped together. Oh, I see. It looks like I'm carrying cool. around a, a lime in my pocket or something right, crazy. Right, right. There's a big lump. This keeps it flat. Moreover, I can actually reach into my pocket and grab any one of these items and pull them out. Um, all right, usually a bad demo here, but I can pull yeah. them straight up without too much resistance and it just works. Right. So right. I've got a little, it's about the size of a one AAA flashlight. This is the right, more right. fancy version. Um, I also keep an, another little thing in here made by Night Eyes. It's a little... It looks like a key, but it's uh-huh. meant for opening bottles, but I don't drink. I really use it for this scrapey screwdriver bit on the end. Right. Um, I think it's called a doohickey, actually, but uh, I keep that in here. Um, and that's that's my my equivalent. If I were Batman, that would be my right. bat belt. 
right. know, the little stuff but it's a, I have but it's in your pocket instead of on your belt. Yep. Presumably, if you carried a wallet, and then you could add that as a fourth one to maybe they make a version where you had a fourth one for your wallet. So funny, I bought this material. Right. And it's a big roll of that material. It's a little right. taller. And I had every intention of trying to sew something right. unique for me. Um, but I think I cannot be alone in the idea that sometimes we have more projects on our plate than we ever get around to. Uh-huh. Um, but so now I have this in my little uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. here you, at home. Add an, <laughs> Someday. Add your wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's actually a very clever idea of organizing the thing, the things in your, in your wallet. And also, I guess it helps to keep track of them more too, where you don't have to, uh, for me, when I go out, I count up the number, make sure I have five. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, keys, wallet, sunglasses or my glass driving glasses, you know, so it's like with the things that have my wallet, I wear in my pockets. And so this will, this, now you just have one. Well, absolutely true. And in fact, when I travel and I don't need my car's key fob, yeah, take that out. I actually carry this little bottle of Purell right. in it. Same thing, same size, because when I'm traveling, uh, I don't want to say I'm a germ phobe, but I am, you know, I was a healthcare professor for years. Um, the idea of, you know, keeping your hands clean is not a bad one, but the little alcohol gel fits in there. Yeah. And as crazy and, well, I guess borderline OCD that might seem, um, you know, it works for me and everyone has yeah. something that works for them. This just came to me in that they make big leather versions of these pocket organizers, but I'm like, they're more bulk than right. the items themselves. So it's a net negative yeah. in my brain. And I saw this little elastic thing. I went, that's it. Right. Wow. I need to stop shopping at Amazon late at night, I think. But <laughs> again, I can't be the only one. Right. That's really wonderful. And that's called a pocket organizer, whatever. Um there must be other varieties of them as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the images they have here of someone using one with a cigarette lighter and a uh, a light and a knife and other things, whatever is in your pockets. So, so Bud, um, we have a couple of minutes to talk about um, what you'd like to share with our audience. If you have um, a passion project, um if you have uh, a mission that you're on, something that you um, are working on this year, or if you want to talk a little bit more about what you do for your livelihood, um, just share with us. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of folks out there who enjoy photography that <clears throat> I think would also enjoy a type of photography where they're controlling the lighting. Um in most photography, and it could be whether you're using your iPhone or something, quite frankly, fancier than that, although the iPhone is pretty stellar, or your camera phone, um, mostly you record the light that you find on a scene. And often you'll time your visit or your portrait or whatever around the time of day or the lighting to capture the light at its optimum. When we talk about portraiture, I am a big fan of using light that I myself add. And in fact, as a portrait artist, I take away all the light in a scene and only add in the light that I physically put there. Now, I do that 
as a professional with some stupidly expensive Swedish made lights by Profoto. And in fact, one of your guests even talked about it, the Profoto D2. They are startlingly expensive, thousands per light head, of which mm -hmm. I use six. Um, but for a professional, that's a, a reasonable thing to do. Um, in fact, the light that's lighting me up, I, I, I know that some folks are listening on the podcast, but I'm using an aperture video light, a very good quality video light to light me here um, because I'm a lighting crazy person. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of folks find lighting to be particularly hard or challenging when I, as a photo educator, think that there's actually more steps to making toast in the morning than there is to using studio lights. Um, so much so that I, I did make an online course. It's called The Master Lighting Course. Um, it's online. It runs you through, here's what you need, here's what you need to do. Um, and I say this because I think a lot of folks in photography who are interested in portraiture find this steep, steep learning curve to learning studio lighting, when in truth, if you realize that it has a plateau right at the front of the learning curve, and then it levels out, you realize the reason it seems hard is you're looking at what you think is a wall, and in fact, it's just a steep hill, and you just have to learn. There are more steps to making toast than there are to using studio lights, as crazy as that sounds. The Master of Lighting course is something I teach online. Uh, you, you pay once per month or something. I can't even remember at this point. That's not the important part. Uh, but it will show you how to do these things. The part that's particularly interesting is that the manufacturers, the, the inexpensive overseas manufacturers of lighting have driven the cost of these lights down significantly. In fact, many of them are battery powered now, which is fantastic. But what it's meant is the used market for older lights that aren't quite as fancy, that aren't battery powered, you still have to plug them into a wall, have become startlingly inexpensive. Lights that were $250 or $450 new are routinely on the Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Mercari, those, those sort of online vendors. Uh, they're all in the $100 categories, and they often come with stands and soft boxes and other things you might need. And um, for $100, and knowing that you can exit it by handing it off to some niece or nephew in the future, or perhaps gifting it to some uh, student somewhere along the way, or even selling it again on Facebook Marketplace, makes the barrier of entry. And, and when I say $100 in photo terms, I realize $100 for some folks is a lot. But in the world of photography, $100 might as well be free. Um, because often photographers are buying lenses that are thousands of dollars, $100 to play around with the light. Well, you can start with one, play around with it, see if you love it, um, and then move on. If you want to buy something fancier later, you certainly can. And I think that that very philosophy jives with what you say about buy the inexpensive tool mm -hmm. first, see how much you use it before you invest in the brand name. You may find yourself only using that electric bandsaw thing once a year. Well, for once a year, the Harbor Freight version is probably fine. Right, right. Um, yeah, the same thing for I call, it, I call it, you have to earn the expensive version. Yeah. You have to earn it up. Um, so so that's, that's actually, um, so um, assuming that people can find um, these sort of cheap lights um, to experiment with, is there one other tip that you would say for someone who decided to fool around, even before they decided to take your course, 
is there one little orienting bit of inf- of advice that you would say to someone? I'll give you I'll give you two. Like, like say you could, like like I'm making this up. I have no idea if it's true, but you might say you need a, a minimum of two lights. Don't get one, get two to begin with, or something along that lines. I'll give you two pieces of advice. Okay. One is start with whatever light you have, and it could be a, one of those clip lamps from yeah. Home Depot. Whatever light you have, start with that in a dark room and let that be the only light. Mm. I mean, don't trip on anything on the floor, right. obviously, but right. let it be the only light and see what happens. That's the first piece. Right. The second is to realize the way the light looks on your subject is brightness, right? How bright is the lamp or how close is it to the subject? But the other big factor that a lot of folks don't quite get is the size of the light source, the physical dimension across the front of the face of the light. So for example, the video light that's on me now is a three foot softbox on it. And so the light that's falling on me is relatively soft. For those at home, you can't see, but I'm shadowing my eyes and you can see the shadow of my hand falling in my face is very soft on the edges. It's not very well defined. It's not sharp. It's there's not, it's not a sharp. sharp edge. It's a yeah. feathered, diffuse yeah. edge. That's what you mean by soft. Soft, exactly. It's a feathered light, and it is more flattering in most portraiture. It's not. I mean, there are no hard rules, but in most portraiture, and that works because, and this is the second real tip, is that this light from the way I see it is fairly wide to me. In other words, this light, which is three foot across, is only three feet away from me. So from my field of vision looking at it, it is only this wide. I'm holding my hands about a foot apart uh, in front of my face and that's how wide the light is. Well, if that were just the bulb, not with the big soft box, the big white diffusion fabric in front of it, I could put my thumb, heck my pinky and cover the light. And that would be a very hard light source. It would be essentially like a flashlight where there's light or there's shadow and there's no gradient in between as the shadows fall. That is not generally flattering in portraiture. Mm-hmm. I say generally, and well, there are exceptions to every rule. But if you know those two pieces of information, you can play around with any light you like. And that's how we see because the gizmos don't matter nearly as much as training your eyes to see what you're looking for. And you start by taking away all the light and put the light in where you want it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to add one extra piece. Don't be afraid to fail at it. Don't be afraid. Like, if you see an image you don't like, and I say this to photographers regardless of genre, they look at the work and say, oh, my work stinks. This image stinks. I think, and you can imagine I might use other more profane words, but, you know, I won't do that. But people do that. They're, They're reflective of their own work that way. And I don't know that that's helpful. Right. You're better off to say this image, not my work, but this image stinks because add that word at the end and then think through the reasons why you don't like it, because that leads you to what you're going to fix right. next. Right. And the the huge advantage we have with the tools today of like a digital image is that basically they're free. Unlike when I started off and a mistake was so costly um, that you were reluctant to experiment because particularly with color film, um, which you couldn't process yourself and had to send away, it was just so, so expensive. 
and you couldn't there was no screen so you couldn't see what you had unless you developed the film and that required uh, another level of what's the word i want um of the ability to 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 experiment um thriftily or to 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 be very precious about your your experiments whereas today make mistakes and free yep. because they're they're yep. free they're free you're you're just inconveniencing some electrons on a memory card. Yeah, That's all right. you're doing, right? You're just pissing off to some little someone else's friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and I learned I learned on film, and in fact, I shot four by five film, which is the sheet film for a long time. And learning studio that way, learning studio lighting in particular, we could talk about experimentation. The problem is the feedback loop is too long. Yeah. You shoot it, yeah, and then hours, if not days later, you get your results. What did I do to get that result? Yeah, yeah. You literally had to take notes in a notebook. Yeah, now, yeah. heck, the camera even tells you what all the settings were when yeah. you photograph that with digital. Of course. Yeah, I I, I, I still have a film camera here in the other room. I haven't used it since the <laughs> dawn of time, but I keep it around to make me feel better about my work. But yeah. um, as an artist, I use, you know, fancy cameras that have upwards of 50 megapixels. And I create artwork generally that's 30 inches at least long on the side so we're always printing large uh and i need the megapixels but could i make do with less yes yeah. but the advantage to me is the artist when i'm working with a dog um i'll say to kimberly she's working with the dog and i'll think i have the shot i have it i'll say to her checking and that means give the puppy some loves because i'm now looking in the back of the camera to see that we have the shot we're looking for right and when we do we stop we move on to something else, maybe another setup, another look, another yeah, background, yeah, yeah. Uh, some other yeah. prop, so that we're not having the puppy, the dog, on our set any longer than they have to be. Sure, sure. So I'm giving the client more options in what they right, can right. see yeah. in creating the art that they're going to have in their home forever. Yeah, that's the advantage of that kind of instant feedback that you get with the uh, digital. So uh, you mentioned printing. Um if I, my own personal interest in this, do you do your own printing of these big 30-inch wide prints? I wish I did. Um, I gave up my printer about eight years ago. I gave up my big, big 24 uh, and 48-inch uh, Epsons, um, mostly because I couldn't keep them running consistently. Um, with, consistently and I, meaning yep. that? you didn't have enough work to keep them running or that you couldn't maintain them at a certain level of quality. Correct. I could not maintain them with a certain level of quality and the service. And I guess I don't mean to beat up any one manufacturer, not at all, because they're all the same. Um, the big format printers, really, there's no service out there for them and servicing them when you can get parts is foolishly expensive. And I would refer you to the fact that I am not particularly handy. I can tell you, if you have one of these big printers, the only big thing I learned is humidity. These printers love humidity. Um, it keeps the heads that much more moist for longer and never leave them unplugged, obviously. But we we send out to labs. Uh, our lab is in Italy, which we love. In fact, we're probably Italy. You, you, did you say yeah. Italy? Italy, yeah. You have them printed in Italy. Yeah, so the metals we create, the metal prints that we make are oh, yeah. on Chromalux panels. They're made in the wow. U.S., but the best printers right now, in my personal opinion right now, are over in Italy with the attention to detail that I'm looking for. Uh, metal printing, for example, is a sublimation process, so it's printed out on a printer. 
Right. Then it's putting a giant heat press on a metal that has mm-hmm. been specially prepared. It's aluminum sheet. And then it's putting a heat press. But if there's even one speck of dust there, even one, it ruins the print. And you need someone that understands and is fastidious enough to create that high quality print consistently. Yeah. Um, and the labs we use in Italy, which they're, they're a pro lab, so they only work with full-time pros and they vet everyone. Um, they have a U.S. rep, which we love. But so so, so w- why is it that they are so picky about the customers? Um, they're picky about the customers, quite frankly, because they. I think I don't want to speak for them because I'm, I do some teaching with them. Um, but I will say that it's easier to deal with full-time pros that understand things like calibration of of screens and sizing of images and you're not spending a lot of time dealing Mm. with beginner problems when that's not their market and in fact our lab is easily two or three times more expensive than than the consumer labs that you might see and that's a premium i will gladly pay for the higher quality let's see for for a long time um i got the most amazing metal prints from costco I'm telling yeah. it was like, you know, I had a 30 by 20 inch metal print that was, I don't know, they were charging maybe $60 or something. And it was, it was framed. It was, uh, you know, the, the um, back, what's the word I want? Like a French cleat on the back. Yeah. Um, it was just unbelievably fantastic. I have no idea. I mean, I think they've stopped doing it because they were probably losing money, but they were, yeah. they were a great deal. And if they're, if they, if they start up again with the metal prints, um, by all means, for most people, they're a very viable option. Yeah, and I bet you in that particular case, you had you had someone running that particular department or maybe an employee in that department who specialized in that, and they themselves were fastidious and brought quality right. to their job at a price point that one would not expect. Yeah. As as someone who sells my art for a living and I own, you know, I'm a low volume photographer. I mm-hmm. only see perhaps five clients in a month. Uh, I'm more high ticket, candidly. Mm-hmm. And in my world, I don't want my clients to have to wait, a, you know, 12 weeks to get something where I can get that artwork delivered to me well within three weeks coming over by DHL, um, Italy by way of Germany on DHL. Yeah. But if I have to get a reprint once or twice, uh, that's just, I, it's too complicated in my workflow. Right. I'm willing to pay the premium right. for quality, but my markup is yeah. significant. I hesitate right. to say numbers, but yeah, yeah, yeah. very well, significant so that I can absorb any reprints. Sure. Last year, in fact, I just did uh, my annual review. Last year, I had to reprint one order my entire year with this lab, and it wasn't their fault. Um, the shipper um, put a hole in the box. And I mean, when I mean a hole, <laughs> transecting the box, uh-huh. it looked like a magic trick, you know, like, well, <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's a hole in the dog's head in the artwork. We it knew did. the package was damaged when we received it. We all got a good laugh and the shipper yeah. ended up eating it, I'm sure. I don't know, but they they shipped me another one right away and, yeah. they, you know, they understood yeah 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 you're at a, you're you're at a whole whole other level but um again my tip would be for the ordinary person out there someone who's doing their own dog at home and you want a metal print check out costco metal prints yep. they were phenomenal and um 
um, you know, they're they're not under glass because they're they're uh, they're nope. on a aluminum plate and um, they're French cleated in the back, and they were for the bargain price. They were just un- unbeatable. Yeah, and I'd say if you have metals on your wall now, enjoy them. Use a microfiber cloth to clean them. Um, mm-hmm. I have one right here. I just clean my screen with it. Same sort of thing right. that we all use to clean our eyeglasses, perhaps. Um, don't use Windex ever on those. The little plastic laminate that's there does not appreciate long-term use of those ammonia-containing products. Mm-hmm. Just You won't even need that. Just a little dust and you're good. Right, right, right. Um, but I think I, I would be more happy as an artist if more people just printed their work, even if it's off their iPhones. People make fun of their iPhones. I'm like, that's an example of your life. Why not make an album every year? Yeah. Go online, pick, I, I don't know, the inexpensive album. Sure. Play. I don't even know the name of one. That's awful. I hate to be disconnected. But if you printed an album, this is my life in 2023. I'm a huge um, fan of blurb books. Oh, sure. Blur books, or they're kind of photo books. They're going to get hardcover, soft covers. They're the best uh, price um, point um, for a consumer. And um, it, there's actually um, parts of it that are built into Lightroom. You can make a Lightroom book. You can make the book in Lightroom and then go right to Blur to print it. And I do a couple of Blur books uh, a year. Uh, the same kind of thing. They're albums, basically that are printed with, you know, high speed inkjet printing that look like um, a regular coffee book. I did one for my brother, a big size that was like 12 by 12, 500 pages of his travels. It was expensive, but man, it made, it was his life. It was, it was, had, you know, a couple hundred pages of photos from his life. He was so happy. It was one of the best gifts ever. Um, And it was a blur book. Yeah, and we spend probably as consumers a lot more on things that mean a lot less to us. Right. So printing something like an album or even just artwork that's going to go on the wall. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing regular photo prints, obviously, you really need to get them framed and with a mat. Keep it away from the glass, obviously, and yeah. away from direct sunlight. But the advantage of an album is it can move with you. If you downsize yeah. from a house to a condo in the, in the future, you can take the albums with you. You can hand them off to your kids and they don't have to put it in their trendy condo if you want. You know, they can right. hang on to it and they're yeah. kind of awesome. You can pull them down and reminisce. One of the things that we're discovering is that um, when people think about conti- their work continuing after they're gone, um, is that if it's digital, it's unlikely to ever continue. Um, who's going to make, you know, in 100 years from now, who's maintaining your website? Who's going to be... Be, be, be nobody but nobody. a book but a book requires no maintenance there's yep. no maintenance required to keep uh, a little book going so it so at the very least you want to make some version of something on paper if you can because that is the the most durable in time so if you're interested in having people appreciate your work long after you're gone you have to almost put it onto paper this is a theme that my wife, Kimberly, and I, um, Kimberly, Sarah, photography, those are, I haven't mentioned it until now, so if you want to see what our work looks like, um, we actually only sell artwork that goes on walls. Uh, we, we do sell albums as well, and it's because very often folks will hire us to photograph their dog, 
but we end up photographing their family. If you look over my shoulder, you can see there's a, a, a pity mix uh, rescue with a family dressed up. Uh -huh. um, the irony, of course, is that the lights that are in this picture are the lights that are in my frame here. Right. Uh -huh. um, those are off the Warner Brothers lots from L.A., actually. I got them used on eBay. Um, but we only sell things that are durable and go on the wall. And as I often say, we know that our pets don't live forever. Um, and I'm always hesitant to say it quite that way to a, to a pet owner in front of me, but the pets die. They, they pass on typically we before do, we, do. we do. Right. Yeah. We want to remember them Right. and art that goes on a wall. It could be a canvas, it could be a metal, it could be a print. It could be, there's lots of options. Um, whatever tickles your fancy and, and it doesn't have to be from an artist like myself. It could be something you did at home, but something that's durable that lasts. And then you think about, you know, the family we had in last week, they've got a, a eight year old at home, an eight year old girl. And I'm thinking she will remember this dog forever. And now we have artwork of it that will go with this yeah. young woman yeah. throughout her life, um, for her to do as her please. Um, yeah which I think is fantastic. We want our work to endure and I want the clients to love what I create of them, that they have some sort of connection to. And that's what really I'm a special specialist in is my, my art happens to be photography, but I rarely call myself a photographer. If I do it shorthand, I usually say what I do is I create artwork that connects people with their dogs and by listening by mostly listening to what is their relationship like with their dog may sound a little odd. If you're not a dog person, you won't really get what I'm saying, but, and then finding a way to get those little nuances included in a picture is what Kimberly and I do best. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being there. Thank you for taking time volunteering to share your unusual, um, cool tools. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. Um, and I wish you the best in your own pursuit of um, the relationships between humans and dogs. Sounds fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. And thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year, and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking on, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, 
um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something used to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.